Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential, along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small-batch rum embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The one constant in business and in life is change, as we've often heard. And like most platitudes, this one also is true. You might not think things as already established as breakfast cereal or everyday signage need to change, but they do. So companies that are able to adapt to this change, even if they've been around a long time, or startups that can come up with a new and better way to deliver an old favorite, are those that will survive and thrive. With me today to discuss this is Steve Perrett, president of Letterman's, a longtime locally owned company that started out in the 1940s as a print shop with a specialty in blueprints for architects and contractors back when you actually had to walk into the store to pick up your prints. Today, Letterman's has evolved to become the state's largest privately owned full-service reprographics company, offering signage and graphics printing, technical document printing, and professional document management. Letterman's still does blueprints, but it also does a whole lot of other stuff, including those large format prints you see wrapping buses and the exteriors of public buildings, as well as wayfinding signage, like ADA-compliant wayfinding signs. Steve's dad, Charles Perrett, bought the company in the 1980s from its original founders, Mr. and Mrs. Carl Letterman. Today, Steve and his brother Chuck helped their dad run the business, which has expanded beyond Baton Rouge to New Orleans and Lake Charles. Steve has been with the company since the 1990s. He also has several degrees from LSU, including an MBA and a doctorate in human resource management. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Joining me and Steve at the table is Rich Zimmerman, CEO and co-founder of Series Plant Protein Cereal, a St. Bernard Parish startup that has created a breakfast cereal for people who subscribe to plant-based lifestyles. The cereal has 20 grams of plant-based protein and no sugar and is made from naturally grown ingredients that are free of herbicides and chemicals. It's low-carb, diabetic-friendly, keto-friendly, vegan and plant-based and it tastes good so it can't possibly be true right wrong which means if this company plays its cards right it is going places rich grew up like a lot of american kids eating a lot of highly processed breakfast cereals loaded with sugar he was overweight and unmotivated and wanted better for the next generation of kids. So he teamed up with his friend Branson Morgan, and in the 12 months since launching the startup, they have won local pitch competitions and are beginning to scale up manufacturing and distribution of their cereal. Rich is a recent graduate of Loyola University and is currently working on an MBA at Tulane. And Rich, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. 
Well, Steve, let's start with you, because we live in a world where so much of what we do is, is virtual and digital, and yet we're out in the real world every day, too, where we still respond to the stimuli, things that catch our eye and lead us and guide us, and, and that's where Letterman's come in. Tell, tell me what exactly y'all are focused on these days, this highly changing world of print and digital. Yeah, that's, that was a great intro, and um, our business has certainly changed a lot over the last five, ten years. Um, you talked about us being a traditional print company and printing blueprints and uh, technical documents. And um, the last few years, we made a really hard pivot um, into um, signage and graphics. Um, that's really exciting. Um, if you've been to Jubin's or uh, the recently to Peebo's and uh, commercial buildings around the, the state, um, universities, and you see these really expiring, inspiring wall graphics just mm -hmm. plastered all over the walls and telling a story about um, their business. Um, those are the kind of things we're doing. Interior graphics, building graphics, interior signage. Um, the ADA Braille and Wayfinding is very new for Letterman's. Um, but you'll see that it's a trend that is following right along, even though it's new business and new yeah. things that we're doing, it's following right along in the footsteps of history of us being a, a focused on architects, engineers, and contractors and helping them to realize their vision and print. And, and, and so, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but so this is like the direction that architecture and interior design is going now, where it, where like visual graphics, you know, worked into the building design. Is Absolutely, right? it's um, when we do um, lunch and learns and continuing education to interior designers and architects about wall coverings. Um, there's survey data that's shared, and it shows from uh, 2016 to 2021 that wall covering and interior graphics like that has has grown, um, you know, in exponentially. And um, we're seeing more and more of it. So it's, uh, it's an exciting thing to be a part of. And it's really exciting to be a part of knowing that we did those things for those customers. And to be yeah. able to go back to those buildings and sit in those spaces and enjoy the, the uh, environment it creates, it's, it's a lot of fun. Because our spaces and places are so important. And so it's, it's great that you get satisfaction from serving your customers. And Rich, I mean, part of the narrative of your startup company is that you really wanted to help serve kids who, have, who eat a lot of junk food in this country, highly processed, highly sugared. And that was really the motivation behind creating this amazing product. Believe it or not, uh, we don't want kids. We want their parents, which is interesting <laughs> uh, because parents, millennials, typically have this trend of, uh, you know, growing up, remembering the days where mom and dad said no. Uh, it was always no to candy, soda, and cereal. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, what do good parents want? Better for their kids. Uh, we fast forward to you know, 25, 30 years later, and candy companies are gone healthy, like Behave. A company that inspired us. Soda companies have gone healthy. Olipop prebiotic soda, 20 calories, gut health. Cereal companies have not gone healthy. You walk in today and you still see the Cinnamon Toast Crunch with 18 grams of sugar that you saw when you were a kid, when I was a kid. Yeah. That's a problem. It's definitely a problem. And you experienced this problem firsthand. I mean, you're, you were overweight as a child, unmotivated, you said? 
Very much so. So, um, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, and this is a food state. And it's kind of the culture here to if you don't finish your food, it's disrespectful. Uh, even if it's a bowl of cereal. <laughs> but I can't, you know, I did. I grew up, and I don't blame my family because all parents that serve cereal to their kids are probably have this quote in their mind part of a balanced breakfast. That line right there is a result of a massively famous lawsuit. Uh, and it goes to show how cereal companies have manipulated their ways into the minds of children. Uh, myself, I was probably 60 to 70 pounds overweight for the majority of my childhood. I'm not a tall guy, but I played offensive lineman. It's a problem. Uh, and I was just so addicted to sugar. Uh, I can remember my mom dreading that aisle of the grocery store because if she tried to say no, I would, I would cause ruckus. Uh, that's 285 million kids in this country have, that have somehow been, you know, addicted to this this product. And and the whole sugar thing is so interesting because you mentioned cinnamon toast crunch, or we could think about Fruit Loops or whatever. But a lot of times it's the quote healthy cereals or one that's branded as a granola that will have the most sugar in it. Almost or always. Or even crackers, right? Almost always. Yeah. Okay. Well. I want to taste the cereal and talk to you about how you came up with it. But, Steve, I want to bring you back into the conversation sure. because the narrative piece of a company and its history is so important. And y'all at Letterman's have a really great story, and it's an old company, a legacy business. But your family also has owned it for a long time, and you came up working under your dad. Right. And so tell me about that and, and what you learned from him. What, what made him want to buy this company from Mr. and Mrs. Letterman? My, my father was actually in a similar business where they were selling the um, equipment that companies like Letterman's used. So he, my dad worked at the manufacturer level and wanted to um, go into business for himself and kind of create his own, um, his own future. Um, and that was a client of his at one time. Uh, found out that it was for sale and bought the business and he had a he had a business partner for many years but um, you know they um, they were really strong at just at building business and um, created uh, you know a company that architects engineers contractors trusted relied on and knew that they they could they could um, they could get the product when they needed it from Letterman's and it was right and um, and it was fairly priced, and um, you know they grew that team, and I grew up in that business, you know, from shooting rubber bands in the back shop to getting in everybody's way to um, coming into it um, after high school and you know driving the trucks and pickup and then into production and then technical roles and then sales and I did everything that was in the business, my brother and I. Um, so I grew up in it. But then um, you got a PhD in HR management. I did. I. Uh, That's just a know, little detour. <laughs> it is. It's well. There's a story to it, and I think it makes sense. Um, I went. I went back to school later in life after I had kids. You know, we were, my wife and I were married, and the more I did business, the more I realized I need to understand business, um, and that a formal education was a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was dealing with architects, engineers general contractors that own businesses, people that had light, you know, that had degrees, all right? And I didn't, so I did. I went back to school and I got a finished degree in, um, in management and then I, I thought it was important to do the MBA because one day I wanted to run the business, right? So I, I thought that was important, so I went back into the MBA. 
And the MBA did a great job of teaching me about process and uh, operations and all those kind of things, but it never really, it never really focused a whole lot on people. And my goodness, as we know, sitting here at the table, people is our business, yeah. right? It takes great people uh, to do great things to provide a great product to the client. Um, so I was really intrigued and wanted to teach at the university level too. Um, I was really intrigued with the, the LSU PhD in leadership and human resource. It's not quite human resource management, it's more about development of people. And I thought that was important for our business, um, development of people, or just in general doing business, understanding people. So I went back and did that. Um, and since then I've been teaching at LSU in the College of Business. I teach entrepreneurship, uh, business model development, and um, startup concepts and things like that um, and I really enjoyed that part of it and um, so it was kind of full circle for me. That's great that's fantastic and I'm sure that experience has proven so invaluable you know as you've worked on growing the company. Rich you were a business major when you started working on series or did you have a science background how did you come up with the expertise not only to launch a startup but to but to develop a product that nutritionally does everything you say it does and that tastes good. Get ready. Um, I had a professional Facebook writing degree. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a political science major at a liberal arts college. Okay. Uh, yeah. That prepared me in more ways than I could ever imagine to do this. When I graduated from Loyola, I moved across the country to Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo, which is uh, the mecca for health startups. So Jamba Juice and Cliff Bar were founded at Cal Poly. Um, I was actually headed to law school about three months before I had the idea for this company. I got an LSAT tutor. I knew I wanted to be a, a boring intellectual property. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what I knew I wanted uh, until I had the idea for this and I asked my family to take, like, let me take the GMAT and they did and then I got into a top 50 business school which I felt like a fraud for uh, because once again I had a political science background. When I got to Cal Poly I was sitting around UCLA robotics majors, um, people that had started coding when they were 14 and you know I could talk about like the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> so I knew that um, it was going to be a long learning curve for me. Uh, I eventually left Cal Poly and came to Tulane where my entrepreneurship education has been more exciting and holistic than I could ever like, imagine. Yeah. Um, I have a concentration in my MBA in entrepreneurship, so I enjoy my classes. Uh, so who partnered with you on the development of the actual cereal? So we needed... Which, which really, like I said in the intro, keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, right. and high-protein, plant-based protein. And it tastes good. So we had to find someone that could actually break science. There was never a grain cereal ever that had put anything near our amount of protein uh, into this serving size. There was never a plant-based protein cereal anywhere near 20 grams of plant protein. So we found a food scientist in Southern California that worked for a large-scale uh, R&D and production firm. Uh, and after about seven months of trial and error and some renditions that really didn't taste great, uh, we broke through. So if it took only seven months and, and a young entrepreneur with an idea and a poli-sci degree, why hadn't Kellogg's done it or General Mills? I mean, why isn't everybody doing it? Well, Kellogg's did recently spin off into a plant-based division. They broke their company into three, um, and we actually were excited about that. So here's why I don't think anyone was doing it. Until about June of this past year, uh, many investors and sort of the, the take was that the cereal industry was dead. 
was dormant. The growth rate was 4%. There was no innovation in it with exception to one company, which is the biggest inspiration. Also our biggest competitor, Magic Spoon. It's an online company. They had never touched a store, yet they had 100 million in sales. They were founded in 2016. I can remember talking to some very large grocery store executives recently trying to explain to them why you know this was a great idea and one guy had told me pull out your phone and show me where a cereal company has ever sold that much online three, three days before uh magic spoon was on the cover of the wall street journal because they raised 85 million wow. uh from a, so i showed him and he was like i guess you're right the cereal industry <laughs> is back so right place right time you're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Rich Zimmerman of Series Plant-Based Cereal and Steve Perrette of Letterman's. Steve, with some of the exciting stuff that y'all are doing at Letterman's, I mean, I suppose that requires a tremendous investment, like in new equipment. I mean, to to print the kind of material that you wrap a bus with or put on the side of a building. I don't even know how, you, how big something like that would be. I mean, are you, the large format printing, or, or what do you even call it? Yeah, it's, it's grand format printing. Um, you know, some of our printers go up to eight and a half flat feet wide. Um, but it is a capital intensive business um, because it's a lot of equipment involved in it. Um, during COVID, we kind of made a pivot on the ADA Braille signage um, because of uh, some demand that was coming to us. Um, and that required going out and buying equipment and software and yeah, training and um, you know, we, when we first got into signage and graphics, we, um, which we bought a company locally, um, when we did that and we thought, well, we can print things. Um, that's easy. We print things all the time. So if it's a sign or a technical document, it doesn't matter. Well, we were dead wrong. Really? There's a big difference between signage printing and technical document printing. And there's a big difference between signage and graphics printing and ADA burial production and manufacturing. Um, so we're having to learn a lot of new skills, um, and that takes time and it takes, um, you know, um, errors yeah. that we have to work through. Um, and we got to make sure that we capture uh, and, and, and make sure that we don't allow those, those trials and, and learning curve affect our customer base. So tell me about the ADA Braille signage niche of the market, because it's probably a little niche that a lot of people haven't thought about before yeah. but I gather from you that it's growing and there's a real demand there well in 2010 it became a law um, mm -hmm. you know um, so any new construction or significant um, renovation requires it um, okay. there's not a lot of local options for that type of um, material um, so you know, we're, we're competing against large nationwide companies. Um, so we're trying to establish some real differentiators for us being local in Louisiana. But at the same time, we are looking at opportunities to scale that up to a much larger playing field for Letterman's. There's no, no reason why we can't sell that outside of Louisiana too. Um, so there's a lot of growth in it um, and there's a lot of opportunity. We were talking earlier uh, about just the amount of competition in our space, but um, we don't always run into each other because we do have some very niche type opportunities uh, that Letterman's is focusing on um, that maybe some of our competitors are not. And they're doing the same thing. They're doing some things that we're not really focused on. So 
um, there's a lot of opportunity for us and the things we're doing right now. That's great. Rich, there's not a lot of competition, I suppose, for this kind of product at this point, but I suppose it's, it's growing. We are trying to create a subsector. So in the cereal space, the two fastest growing subcategories are plant-based cereals. That's number one. And then protein cereals. That's number two. The two have really not combined. It's a strange feat. Uh, we actually did our own. We've, we've, we've been very data heavy for the past two years because we didn't have the product. Uh, and our own research for uh, over 4,000 people, so on and so forth, shows that um, the plant-based protein space, if you were to actually create it, uh, only has one company that's above 8%, and it's at 9.5 of the market share. So, so there there's a lot of opportunity there. We feel that there is. So in the seven months that it took y'all to come up with this product, um, how were you financing that? Had you raised money by then? Did you have angel investors? So we, we had the privilege of having angel investors, which was a big feat for us. And one of the real reasons we came back home from uh, San Luis Obispo to New Orleans, because people take chances on people in the New Orleans region. Um, and you know, being a Loyola or Tulane associate, that means it goes a long way. And, you know, people had a lot of confidence in the concept. So we raised money um, before we had, we put the cart way before the horse on this. Uh, before Even before they had tasted it? Before they had tasted it. Uh, luckily, my family had supported, you know, in some capacities, um, but it has not been easy. You know, Branson, my co-founder, left law school at Santa Clara, a top law school for this. Um, I, you know, would love to be making a Tulane MBA salary at a tech company, but you know, Branson and I are eating ramen noodles type thing right now, so it's not easy, uh, but we, we hope it'll pay off. Ramen noodles are. I don't <laughs> think it fit into your healthy eating, man. I'm sorry to tell you. And they're very high in carb and salt. Right. Well, fun uh, fa- can I have a fun fact? I did. T- um, Branson was a student of mine in the entrepreneurship program at LSU. Oh, wow. For a disruptive, it was a disruption, uh, disruptive business model course. Wow. Yeah. Great guy. He's a disruptive creator. Yeah, he is. What kind of advice, Steve, do you have for you know for young people about disruptions in the in the market? I mean, that's a really important thing to be studying these days. It really is. Um, And you know, we're trying to even you know a company that's been around for many years trying to figure out how to do that ourselves. It's it's really not an easy principle to uh, come in and disrupt something. to where you know you can offer it cheaper, better, faster um, options that never existed. It's all about getting you know offering a product to um, uh, some market segment that never could have had it before. Um, so uh, I mean, focus, thinking differently, um, challenging the status quo. Um, you know, thinking of new ways to get a product out um, to where more uh, consumers can can have it and enjoy it. Um, you know, so it sounds like you're doing a lot of those things right now um, with the product that you're, you brought to market. It's very different. You just said it yourself. The cereal industry has, hasn't had a disruption in a long time, and you just might be um, a part of that. Rich, y'all are online right now selling your product, but you're scaling up to go into stores or some stores? This is uh, the part of a pivot, I guess. So Branson and I are both very tech oriented. He worked in tech, I that was my direction. Um, so e-commerce made sense. And you know, the pandemic economy 
uh, e-commerce sales made up 16% at the peak of retail activity, which was amazing. And that's what really gave birth to Magic Spoon to do what they did. Um, so we went in with numbers when we founded this company that had come from 2020 for the most part. And being data heavy, we were like, we're going to, e-commerce is the future. To one point, we did not even want to touch retail because hmm. it's bureaucracy. And like our Branson and I's philosophy as co-founders are what can we control? We feel we can control e-commerce, we can't control retail. But the market is changing. So those e-commerce sales have slowed to 14%. Um, you know, there's going to be a, a few bumps here the road. We still feel that e-commerce is the future. In fact, in our customer segment, which is very, very niche, one in eight consumers shop exclusively online for their groceries. So we are still banking on about 70% e-commerce. But here recently, we've had to loosen our decision, uh, you know, to make some retail plays in 2023. All right. And Steve, looking into the new year, what what what's on your horizon Real briefly, your top couple of goals or changes planned or priorities. Yeah, I tell you, we just had a, a strategy session the other day for um, some of the manager, managers at the office, and um, we're really locked in on some of the key things we're doing right now, the wall coverings, the ADA Braille, the fence wrap. Some of these key products and initiatives we're going to push super, super hard in 2023, and we're really looking back on our existing customers, the work they're doing with us, the things we do for them, um, and focusing in on them as well. Um, so kind of getting back to basics. All right. Well, great. Steve Perret and Rich Zimmerman, it's so uplifting to see local business people reinventing legacy companies and creating startups in response to ever-changing demand. And you both have such interesting stories and insights and observations. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks so much. My guests today have been Steve Perrette of Letterman's and Rich Zimmerman of Series Plant Protein Cereal. We had to edit this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited version and learn more about Letterman's and Series by going to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts, and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansur's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com.
and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System. Inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.